Strictly Friends Connection You went and gave me your okay I'll take you on a trip beside the ocean And drive the top of Chesapeake Bay Ain't nothing like the sky to dose of potion The moon will send you Hey gang, thanks for listening to this new thing we're doing. Uh, this is the first episode of Promo Mode. Regular listeners will understand the inside joke of why we called it that. Every now and then, former guests of ours uh, still do fun things. And we want to support them. And we want to let you guys know that they're out there. Now we've already told the story, you know, the, uh, the definitive story of these people's career. So we're not going in depth. But we want to talk about whatever these new things are. And the goal of this is to make them quick and dirty. 20 to 30 minutes, not a lot of edits or song cues or anything like that. We're going to tell you the story and we're going to leave it up to you to go out and find those things on your own. Well, we're going to kick it off with the guy who kicked off our this entire podcast, The Hustle, Bruce Blackman of Starbuck. He wasn't the first, he was the fifth interview I think I ever did, but it was the first one we put out because it was so perfect and encapsulated everything I was trying to accomplish with this podcast. If you are new to us and have never gone all the way back to the beginning to listen to Bruce's episode, please do. It's awesome. He is the best. Well, since he and I spoke four years ago, he has since released another album and is working on another album. And last year he released his memoir. It's called The Road to Moonlight Feels Right. And uh, I thought it would be interesting to talk with him about this book and how he became a writer. You can tell from listening to him that he's just, it's that Southern charm. He's got such a way with words and with color and characterizations. In fact, I try to def- I try to describe it as best I can in here. I actually get a little tongue-tied sometimes because he's just really great at it and he's better at it, of course, than I am. So anyway, here's a quick and dirty conversation with the great Bruce Blackman about the, the book he put out late last year, Moonlight Feels Right. It is available now on Amazon. Okay, I read it. It's great. I hope you will enjoy it too. So, for starters, um, you know, so I finished the book the other day, and I and I absolutely loved it. And uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I should get the name out there really quick. It's called "The Road to Moonlight Feels Right," and you put this out, I think, last year, late last year, correct? Yeah, uh, August last year. August of last year. Okay. Um, I loved it, but there were three main takeaways or three main themes that I thought of when I was reading this. Number one, it is so important to have great teachers. Number two, it is so important to have a great wife. And number three, it is so important to have a great work ethic. All three of those things, I think, helped make you who you are. Would you agree? 100%. Tell me about these teachers. There were several. Now, the first... And on my Kindle, it was 44%. The first 44% of the book is you growing up and, uh, you know, your life in the South. It was amazing, very Faulkner-esque. But you touched, you touched on some teachers that really inspired you to be a writer and to go for it. What, what made them special? Well, just that they took the time to, to uh, uh, 
to spend with me. Uh, and also I had met uh, this guy in uh, uh, junior high school named John Keating. His father, Byrne Keating, was a very well-known journalist. He wrote for uh, Playboy, uh, Reader's Digest, National Geographic, etc. And and there was a, a group of people that, that uh, they met out at, at uh, the Keating's house about once a month. That included William Faulkner mm. and, and uh, oh, uh, Shelby Foote. And a lot of people from Mississippi who are quite well, Hiding Carter, who won the uh, uh, Pulitzer Prize. We had a Pulitzer Prize winning newspaper in our town. Wow. Well, I would sit out there and listen. I, I grew up in a ghetto, just around a bunch of rednecks, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, and being around those people let me see another side of the world. And I went, wow. And on top of that, all these guys were tough. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought anyone that would could be a writer or talked about politics or anything was, a, was like a sissy, but mm-hmm. Bern Keating was the heavyweight boxing champion in the Seabees in World War II. He, oh, he ran a PT boat, and I'm going, wow, these guys are great, you know. Yeah, but yeah. I had teachers like uh, my, an English teacher. I didn't even have her. She, uh, she, I, I was never in her class, but her name was Nell Thomas. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had written a little thing for our church bulletin, and she saw it. And she called me uh, after school one day and, and said uh, she wanted to meet with me. And I said, well, I, I can't, uh, but I have football practice. And she just mm-hmm. walked away. And <laughs> shortly after that, my football coach uh, came and said, Bruce, you're excused from practice. Miss Thomas wants to see you. And she told me that she thought I had a lot of potential, but I could be a lot better. So she was going to give me assignments, and we were going to keep working on these assignments, writing themes, until I made an A. Mm-hmm. Of course, I didn't want to do it, but. But over time, I really got into it because mm-hmm. I respected her so much, and I didn't want to disappoint her. And I had uh, uh, people like a guy named Kenneth Haxton, who uh, was an orchestra conductor. And I, I remember going in his house one time, and he said, asked me about a 13 chord. And I said, I didn't know what that was. And he said, what? You don't know what a 13 chord is, and you call yourself a musician? That's ridiculous. you know. So I became a student of music theory because mm-hmm. I wanted to think Kenneth, Kenneth Haxton thought well of me. Yeah. And so on. So I had those kind, those kinds of teachers at, at that point. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it really struck me. Now, this this Miss Thomas. Did she at this time? Were you already thinking? You know, I feel like I'm a good writer, but I don't know for sure. And she confirmed your feelings about yourself, or did she help kind of pave the way or create a vision for you of what you could do that you didn't already know? She did create a bit of a, of, uh, of a vision because I had been writing songs since the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. In fact, that piece that was in the church was really a part of a song. That oh, I that's wrote. right. Mm-hmm. And, and she had read that, and, and we just started talking about it. And, and she said that the, my, I had an unusual twist of language mm-hmm. and that I, I didn't have to be limited to songwriting. So, I mean, we just started uh, yeah. working from there. I mean, to me, writing prose is just, it's just like, I, you know, it's a long song that doesn't have to rhyme. That's true. That's and true. it's really easier because when I write songs, I've got 12 lines. They have to rhyme. They have to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. It makes sense. Uh huh. That's true. <laughs> and the story, you know, you can, when I look at my notes for songs I've written, sometimes I have three or four pages of notes, yeah. which in itself is almost a story. And then I didn't reduce that down to, to, to the to simplicity of a lyric. So it sounds like you've always had this ability to to color a sentence. I mean, when, one thing that was a big takeaway of your book for me was that everything was colorful and and you and decorative. 
and interesting. You were the way you would describe things, the way you would touch on your own feelings, the way you would make fun of other people. It uh, I've never read anything like it, unless it's from the South. I mean, I guess that's been your talent your whole life. That yeah, well, that's not really South. It's just that from the mentors that I had is you know I, I basically write what you see. Mm. You know, I want you to be looking over my shoulder and seeing, smelling, tasting, feeling, touching exactly yeah. the way that I am. Yeah. And so that's the way I look at it. I, I went, for years, I went through exercises uh, in, in writing songs, for instance. I'd say, all right, I, I don't have a, any inspiration today, so I'm going to write a song. Just open the dictionary and just pick three random words. Mm. You know, potato, uh, telephone pole, and car tire. Mm. Now write a song with those words in them and make it make sense. Yeah. And that's very difficult to do. But then when you, when you do have inspiration, you get, it just builds up your chops to do it. Yeah. Yeah. What you, can you say in a way that is, is unique, or at least you think it's unique? Well, that's uh that's a definite takeaway is your unique perspective. When you think of yourself, do you view yourself as a musician first or a writer first? Uh, well, a, a songwriter. A songwriter. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was always my ambition to, to, to be able to write songs. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I looked at, it, I won't, uh, I'll write the song, you record it and you'd be famous. Mm. <laughs> that's the yeah. way I looked at okay. it. You know? okay. It didn't quite work that way. Uh, but, but uh, that's the way I always saw it. Are you someone who has stories inside of you, prose, you know, non or uh, fiction? Um, have you ever considered doing that? Or are you content that your, your whole, all your energies toward writing are, are you know succinctly in these pop songs oh no i have i've been uh, i have i've already written about 50 stories <laughs> my next book in fact is going to be called stories and stuff really yeah and it's just just a collection of some of it's about music some of it isn't it's just about observation just whatever yeah you know, i didn't want to get into a narrative and have to worry about the pesky de- details of chronology and character just let each story stand on its own which is really the kind of the way the the, uh, the road to moonlight feels right is and that each story is a story in itself but there's a chronology to the whole package mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. why do you think i mean have you been writing all along all, all these years other than i know you've been songwriting all along but have you right. been this feeling this anxious or this urgent about putting you know pen to paper and getting stories out there what's bringing this on now at this stage in your life well, it's pretty simple. On Facebook, um, my Facebook page kind of blew up on me. I, I was uh-huh. posting um, uh, music, just basically music, yeah. little things I would write about music, little videos and stuff like that. Then I did the Starbucks fan page, and it's it, it got fairly large. Uh-huh. And uh, I kind of ran out of stuff. I went, gosh, I can't make a video every week, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so I just started writing just stuff, you know, just yeah. to amuse myself. Uh-huh. Well, over time, those those grew. I mean, sometimes 1,500, 2,000 people would, would like something and hundreds mm-hmm. comment on it. So people started saying, you should write a book, you should write a book. Mm-hmm. So this went on a couple of years, and all of a sudden, early last year, a publisher called and said, he called you. about writing a book? Yes, you they did. go to him. They came to you. That's correct. Wow. And and I, I said, well, you know, I, my, take me a, Said it would probably take me a couple of years to do it. Mm-hmm. I said, "Oh no, we've been following your Facebook post." I said, "You've probably already written one." That's true. <laughs> so you know, I've always believed in you know, 
a deal comes along, you just you keep saying yes until you get a reason to say no. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I never had a reason to say no, and it, and it evolved into the book. And I took That's the deal. Great. Yeah. I, um, I'm one of the people who follow you on Facebook and, and love all your, uh, I can tell that it is a very creative outlet for you. You know, these thoughts and these creative ideas and, uh, and your writing experiments, you, you express them on Facebook. That's sort of your area. That's your channel to get it out. Yeah. And I, I, I also use it. Uh, I can tell cause what I usually put up is I'll have an idea for piece it's going to be maybe 1500 3000 words something like that mm -hmm. so i'll extract a snippet of it put it up mm -hmm. see what the reaction is so as i come to my next book i will know which ones to develop on into the full story and which ones not yeah yeah that makes sense how much was the book that we've read or that we have that's available was there Aside from the stuff that you've already started working on for your next story, were there was there a lot of editing involved? Were there a lot of things that you had to cut out in order to make it more streamlined? Or is it everything you wanted to say? No, it, it went through 12 edits. Did it really? <laughs> three, three, yeah. <laughs> three editors plus my own edits. Yes, there was a lot of things I cut out. Uh -huh. um, just as you say to make it. They wanted it to be in the forty to 50,000 word range. Mm. And okay. I I was at about seventy five thousand. No, it, this is just the 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 logistics of books. It, there's a certain page count you run over, and the the cost of the book goes way up, mm. but the retail price has to stay the same. Got it. Okay. And so that that's that's uh, what they were looking at. So yes, I had to chop some and and, and whatever. Okay, but there's more coming. You're this. Oh yeah. This fuse has been lit, and you're going to write more books. Just a warm up. The first okay. one's just a warm up. That's great. Well, it's a blast. It's so much fun. Let me. I want to touch on those themes again. I mean, I, your wife, obviously. Let's save her for the end. But this this work ethic of yours, and it, there's, I can tell that you're just, you're not somebody who believes in a lot of BS. You know, you don't. Your, no. your BS monitor is really. It's uh. You don't. You don't put up with it. Have you always been that way? Would you say you're? That's accurate. Well, I grew up as a victim of major bullying and getting my ass whipped all the time. And and that's probably what uh, <laughs> brought all that on. But, of course, by the time I was real skinny, anemic, little little dinky little kid, you know, going up around all these tough rednecks. And, but by the time I was about a sophomore, junior in high school, I had filled out and I was an athlete and at that point, those people had to start running for me instead of vice yeah, versa. Right on. <laughs> right on. You're, you, you just seem like someone who's always been tough and scrappy and a survivor, you know? Yeah, well, that, that's that's it. That's what I had to do. Yeah. My parents, my father was a policeman. My mother worked a shift at a, at a, a carpet mill, and mm. it was very few times anybody was home. They, they never had the same shifts, and they both, every two weeks, they would, you know, they had the, the, the eight till – so four shift, and then they go to the four to midnight shift, and then the yep. midnight to eight shift, and then there was always somebody had to be sleeping, so I always had to be gone. Yeah, and I was just about out there on the streets, you know, and you um, either survive or you don't. Right, and you, one thing, another thing that I sort of took away from the book is that it seemed very clear to me that you weren't willing to play the showbiz game too much. You weren't willing to like no. sacrifice. It wasn't important enough for you to be you know, success, wildly successful or a rock star, if it meant you had to kind of sell your soul in the process. 
Yeah, that's true. I, that that's very true. Uh, it was my wife that that kept telling me <laughs> that. For instance, when when the record company when we finally got a deal with Moonlight Feels Right, and they said the song was too long, we had to take the marimba solo out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, every other label in in the United States had passed on on it. I, there were no other options. But I actually said no to that. Yeah, that's and then the they part. agreed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah, that's what makes that song special. Tying back to this uh, work ethic and your wife, it, you struggled for years, Bruce, to get this going. And all the while, though, and maybe this is just you know poetic license, since this is your story and you're able to write it however you want. It felt like there was always determination. You always were going to stick with it until you got there. How do how do people do that in the face of rejection year over year over year? <laughs> you know that that's that's probably the, the million dollar question. I really don't know. Yeah. But what kept my belief going is, is my wife. She yeah. just simply say, Nope, nope, you're not gonna get a job here, you're not gonna do this, you're uh-huh. not gonna do that. I know good when I hear it, you're gonna write songs, get busy. Yeah, didn't that was, that was about it. Didn't she say something like, you know, we're making enough money with my job. Why don't you take a year and just focus on music and we'll see what happens in that year? That's exactly what she did. She took a job working in, in underground Atlanta as a waitress. Man. And uh, I just stayed home. And, and I wrote, I, I, I talked about this in the book. I wrote two songs, Moonlight Feels Right and Rock and Roll Rocket, within about a week after a bad accident I had. Yeah, I yeah. cut my fingers off. And then when Peggy heard Moonlight Feels Right, she said, that's the best song you've ever written. <laughs> then when I finally took it to a publisher here and they did backflips over and I came home and told Peggy and she said, of course they did. It's going to sell a million. <laughs> <laughs> but she it was, was wrong. still, it, yeah, it I was going to say. It, <laughs> oh, go it ahead, went I over 10 million last yeah. year. 10 million last year? 10 million, yes. No way. But even still, mm-hmm. it took a while. I mean, I think, you know, you say that's the million dollar question. I think... So many of us have some kind of creative urge inside of us, you know, something we we want to express, we want to get out there, and the world tells you not to do that, or it's not practical to do that, and only a chosen few fight through those feelings enough like you did to get to the other side, and it's, I just wonder where that comes from, you know? My mom probably thinks my, I'm not a songwriter, but if I was, she would think I was the best too. That's what they do, because they love us, you know? So it's hard to have that objectivity. It turns out your wife was right. You know, that's a real blessing. Yeah, it is. But, you know, I've always looked at it like the world will kick your ass every time, but only if you let it. (laughs) That's true. So true. Now, when your music career, I mean, it's three great Starbucks albums and then that's it. There's a solo album out there, which I thought I knew a lot about you from having you on here before. Corona. I didn't even know about Corona. Uh Yeah, yeah, I did that after uh, after Starbucks. Okay, I'm gonna have to track that one down. Do you feel like when that ended? I mean, I know we talked a lot about your post Moonlight Feels Right career with the Halloween costume business and all this other kind of stuff. Do you feel like it? Like you met the measure of you did what you were put on this earth to do. You know what I mean? Like I did it. I I was here to be a musician and write great songs. And I did what I was here to do. Or do you feel like there's something on un- left undone? No, I, I feel like I did it, but I also feel like I'm not done. Oh. Even though I'm an old man, you know, yeah. but I, I still have developed enough uh, musical following that uh, doing new, I, I have a new album coming out in the summer. 
and there's enough people that like what I do that makes it viable. So I'm just thrilled about it. I mean, it's just it's great. It's great. I, I did a song uh, called Cowboys Cry Too. Mm-hmm. It's the saddest song on the planet. It's it really is. sad. But yeah, it's about this little girl. Her mother died and blah, blah. And I've had it for years. And I decided to make a little short video, and I put it on my on Facebook. I put it native to Facebook. Uh-huh. And uh, as of right now, it's had 1.1 million views what? on Facebook. Yes. Really? Yes. Then I put it up on YouTube, and it's somewhere around 40,000 on YouTube, which isn't that much. But it is considering the only way people have come to that, found it, was from people who saw it on Facebook telling their friends, and then they don't you can't really type it in and, and see it on yeah. Facebook. So they type type in that title, and it takes them to YouTube, and they see it there. So it's a, it's actually roughly about 1.2 million views between the two. That I went, boy, I, I missed it on that. I'll have to put that one on the next album because <laughs> that's that's actually a hit. Yeah, you know, apparently so. It's not, it's not easy to get 100 views on no. YouTube. No, it's not. That's funny you say all this. So I, because I've been keeping track of you for years, and you sent me your first album, which I have, so I still have that. And then last year, I think you put out Is That Your Yacht, which is yeah. another great album. And so today, I was pulling, I wanted to listen to it again to get before we talked. And there's Cowboys Cry 2 on Spotify, which I didn't even know about. And some of the songs that are available, I'm, I'm guessing this is sort of an EP. Some of the songs were already available in those other two albums. Some are new. Yeah. But you're still going for it. I mean, you, and you have another album coming out. You just must be in the most creatively furtive period of your life. <laughs> yeah, I really am. I, I, I write uh, pretty much a song every week. Gosh. I mean, when I say write it, I'm talking about the whole thing orchestrated, ready to go. I, I have my own studio now, and, and it's only used for me. Ah. So I can record anytime I want, you know. And uh, I finished one last night, and I'll record it tomorrow. <laughs> That's incredible. So it's just, I'm just having a blast, man. Yeah. <laughs> and just, you just I call it? Just plain lucky. It, it, the, the, well, you're good enough to deserve the luck. You know what I mean? It didn't just fall out yeah. of the sky on some guy who didn't deserve it. Now, all the people who play on these albums and these songs, are they local musician friends of yours? Yeah, I've got about 20 people that I call on, and plus I use a string section from the Atlanta Symphony. And, wow. Uh, I just, just great, great, great player. I, I was in, we were in uh, Sanibel Island, Florida, some years ago, <laughs> with this little old dive bar. There was a guy in there playing Spanish guitar, and it just blew me away. Hmm. So I, I I get him. He comes in and plays for me. And I, I, I like to do a lot of Latin-based type stuff. Mm-hmm. He's, such, he's such a good guitar player. It, just, it adds such a flavor to everything, you know? Yeah. Horn wow. players, I use the Tuscaloosa horns. <laughs> uh, from, that's the University of Alabama lab band. Do you travel to them? Do you travel to them and get everyone in the studio and – record it and then bring it back to your stereo to mix it with your own stuff? Yeah, we've done it both ways. Sometimes I go to Birmingham, we'll huh. record there, and then I bring it back. And then sometimes they come here. It just depends on if it's going to be a uh, the, the entire group, which is like seven pieces, I'll go to Birmingham. If I'm just yeah. going to use like three, they'll come here. Man, I, I mean, Bruce, there's so many people out there who wish that they – could express themselves in the same way that you're doing it and get the sort of validation that you get in return. I mean, you ha- like you said, it's so lucky. I mean, not that many people get 1.2 million 
you know, listens to their new music at 70, whatever you are years old, you know? That's right. <laughs> I was blown away when, when I went to my high school reunion, the way I got back, uh, I, I don't know if we talked about this before. Did we, did we, we did, this? we did, but tell me again. Yeah. Okay. Well, they called me and want, and want to know if I'd print it, have some, bring some, uh, sign some photos and, and bring them back, and they put them in the swag bag. And I said, uh-huh. no way. That is the most narcissistic thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> and I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll write a song for uh-huh. our reunion. Well, there's a cafe there in my hometown of Greenville, Mississippi, named Jim's Cafe. It's been there over 100 years. Uh-huh. So I did this song called Jim's Cafe. We go to the reunion, and I, I made about 50 or 60 copies, and they were doing a thing where they were inducting me into a thing called a writer's garden. So I thought it was going to be like, you know, 10 or 12 old ladies from the PTA, and I'd have to stand up and say, thank you, ma'am, and that's it. So I get there, there's like 200 people there. There's a newspaper, television, radio, the whole shebang. And I had brought uh, 50, 60 copies or so, and uh, th- those copies were gone of the song Jim's Cafe in, oh, wow. just in minutes. So I said, well, anybody that wants one, just notify me on Facebook, and I will uh, send you one. Uh-huh. Well, I get home. That was a Saturday. I got home on Monday, and I had over 600 requests, which what? ultimately went into thousands of requests for that song. And then some radio stations started playing it. And the next thing I know, somebody calls me and says, man, do you know you debuted at number 31 on the adult contemporary chart? And I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? I had no <laughs> sure idea. Enough, sure enough, it did. You know, um, and so... It, it went up to something like number 21 or so, peaked out uh-huh. at that spot. And I went, that's, that's crazy. That's, yeah. that's absolutely crazy. And then I released another song called Doing Nothing, and it went up mm-hmm. to like number 15. And, and now since then, since 20, 2015, I've had five songs. that are the, the highest one went to number nine, which was Is That Your Yacht, on the uh, yeah. FMQB adult contemporary charts. Crazy. That is yeah, crazy. So well, went, good for you, man. You deserve this. And I didn't have to wear a leopard skin jockey strap either. (laughs) (laughs) That's what, you know, you're right. You say that jokingly, but that's true. Considering how important I know it was for you to receive, to gain success on your terms, not having to play the game. That's exactly what has come to you. Really. Yeah. You're not out there doing the, you know, doing the dance. You're doing what you want and people are coming to you. You know, you finally get old enough where you need to keep your clothes on and quit dancing. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, now, I have a question for you. How often, if ever, do you wear the white hat? Only when I perform. Really? Okay. I didn't know if this That's was it. a thing where, like, you know, Samuel Jackson always has a hat on now. I wondered if that was yeah. you. Like, you, everywhere you go, no, you wear the no. white hat. Okay. No, not at all. Only when I perform. I, I've, I've never been a hat wearer other than yeah. that, which okay. was a complete accident, as you know. Right, right. For anyone who doesn't know, you tell a story in your a, a chapter of the book of a party you go to where a record producer is just out of his mind with arrogance and probably drug use and everything else, just calling all the shots, ruining every. And I think was this at Playboy? Was it the Playboy Mansion? Yeah, yeah. That's where well, a famous songwriter who I won't name uh, got in the hot tub and, and he blew lunch in the hot tub. <laughs> Only problem was Miss October, November, and December were in the hot tub with him when he did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, my gosh. I love it. 
Oh, okay. Well, maybe uh, if you ever decide to trust me, you could just fire off who that is on a, on a message, and I'll keep it to myself till my dying day. You'll, you'll have to sign a under penalty of death non-disclosure agreement. <laughs> Got it. I'll do that. I'll do that. Well, look, uh, thank you, Bruce, for talking with me for a minute. I, um, you, I don't know. I mean, you don't. You probably haven't paid any attention, but like you, I do. You know, I, we all have our little creative things, and mine is to do this podcast, and I try my very hardest to document the interesting stories of artists that we love that we don't get to hear from often enough and we kicked it all off with you almost exactly four years ago and uh because i just thought you would have the most interesting stories and you did and i'm grateful that you gave me your time then and now i think you're the best thank you sir i appreciate it john you bet all right gang there you have it Huge thanks to Bruce Blackman, the great Bruce Blackman. And that book is called The Road to Moonlight Feels Right. I bought it on the Amazon Kindle for $5.99, I believe. So I think we all can spare six bucks to read a really good book. <laughs> do, do without one cup of coffee or something, okay? Uh, now, this is the song that he mentioned in here, Cowboys Cry 2. Can you believe? I mean, this guy's in his 70s, and he's enjoying the most fertile, creative period of his life. He put out an album last year. He put out an EP. He's got a new one on the way. He's got a new book on the way. It's like suddenly Bruce Blackman is everywhere. Anyway, I just find that story so fascinating. I hope that you guys do, too. We will do this again the next time it makes sense. Who knows when that will be, okay? Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, everybody. I took a deep breath, I was speechless, and I didn't know quite what to do. I just stood there, I was frozen. She said, look, daddy, cowboys cry too. And he said, I'm so sorry she said that I rubbed both my eyes and replied, that's alright, it's okay My dad picked her up, she was crying She asked, is my mommy coming home today? And then I lost it, I really lost it and I cried like a cowboy can do And she looked up like an angel Said it's okay if cowboys cry too Take a deep breath I gotta go now Cause there ain't no good air in this room I remember A little girl said 
It's okay if cowboys cry too It's okay if cowboys cry too